really it's about perseverance and persistence because I had most of my musical success when I was in my early 40s. Welcome to the Female Entrepreneur Musician Podcast with Bree Noble. Bree is a musician, entrepreneur, speaker, and founder of Women of Substance Music Radio and Podcast. Bree's interviews with successful female musicians and industry pros are both inspirational and informational. She also answers your questions about the music business. Bree is on a mission to help you create great music, connect with your fans, and grow your business, and to truly become a female entrepreneur musician. Hey, this is Bree Noble, and I want to thank you for tuning in to the Female Entrepreneur Musician Podcast, where we talk about making great music, connecting with your audience, and growing your business. Now, if you missed our last three episodes, we had three surprise episodes that we threw in to help you guys with a lot of the things that I hear that you guys are struggling with. So um, these are episodes number 48, 49, and 50. And these are solo episodes with me talking about what happens when you don't sell your CDs. You make an awesome CD and you just don't sell it. Where do you go from there? Why didn't you sell any? And how can we fix this problem? So if you listen to episodes 48, 49, and 50, I think that will be really encouraging to you. I know I certainly had a time period where I made an awesome CD and I thought everyone was just going to jump on the bandwagon and buy it. I was, it was going to sell. It was, you know, the songs were going to become popular on the radio and like 10 people bought it because I didn't know how to build a fan base. I didn't know how to get people excited about my CD. So if that's you, or if that's ever happened to you, or if maybe you felt like the reception to your CDs was a little lackluster, I really invite you to listen to those episodes 48, 49, and 50. So for this episode, I'm really excited to have Lisa Brigantino. I have been in touch with Lisa for several years, probably since 2008 or 2009, maybe 2010, early on in Women of Substance Radio. Um, I've been playing her music for a while. She is very knowledgeable about the business. She's done all kinds of different things that I'm going to let her tell you about. Um, But here is some information about her. Lisa Brigantino is an award-winning Brooklyn, New York-based singer-songwriter, composer, and multi-instrumentalist. She was an original member of Les Zeppelin, the world's first all-girl Led Zeppelin tribute band, and toured internationally with the band for a number of years, playing bass, bass pedals, mandolin, and keyboard. She left the band in 2009 to focus on her original music. Lisa has also worked in the business side of the industry for many years, doing music supervision, music licensing, talent acquisition, rights clearance, and custom scoring music production. She's the president of Hidden Pond Productions Incorporated and provides these services to filmmakers, broadcasters, corporations, advertising agencies, and producers of all kinds. Here's my interview with Lisa Brigantino. So that's a little bit about Lisa Brigantino. So Lisa, is there anything that's not in your bio that's maybe a little more personal that you'd like to share about yourself? You think our listeners should know about you? Um, well, um, I would say uh, yeah, I'm somebody who comes from a very musical family. Um, 
that might be of interest to, for folks to hear. Um, not only was there always music around, especially at family gatherings, we were always playing instruments, singing in four-part harmony. Um, my great aunt was an arranger for Sweet Adelines, which is four-part uh, barbershop harmony for women. My cousin. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. I used to sing in a barbershop quartet. That's so fun. Yeah. And then I, I actually became a member when I was in high school with my mom and my grandmother. So it, that kind of runs in the family. But my cousin Felix Popolardi, uh, a name that a lot of folks might recognize, uh, produced Cream um, and also was a producer and bass player for Mountain. Um, in addition, my cousin Michael Barbiero is an engineer, uh, a mixer, and a producer who has worked um, with everyone from uh, Government Mule to Janet Jackson to, I mean, it just, the list goes on and on. Um, so it's, it's in the blood. Um, and, uh, that's kind of a, a, a nice thing to mention. Yeah. That's, that's definitely like a lot. Mm -hmm. in the blood. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's cool. Cause you get experiences growing up kind of being immersed in that yeah. and seeing all the different sides, you know, people that are producers, mm -hmm. people that are actually in bands. That's cool. So how did you actually get started personally in your music journey? Um, well, I guess from kind of the, the, the family atmosphere of embracing music, you know, we, I was playing music from a very early age. Um, my grandmother taught my sister and I to play ukulele when we were four and five. Uh, then I started piano lessons, violin lessons. I taught myself guitar, uh, started upright bass when I was a teenager, then uh, picked up electric bass. Uh, and it was like one thing after the other, you know, singing in choirs, playing in orchestra, jazz band, marching band, everything, the whole nine yards. And really becoming immersed in it in high school and then deciding to go to college to study music at SUNY Fredonia, which is State University of New York uh, College at Fredonia, where they have a school of music. And initially, um, I went there to study music therapy and went quite far in that program and, and still have a very, uh, uh, I'm very fond of the profession and I believe uh, very much in the profession, but kind of came to the point where I realized it wasn't quite for me as a, for me to, to pursue as a profession. And it ended up switching to the composition department and got my uh, bachelor's in composition and theory and, and then stayed on for my master's in composition and theory. So I, I really kind of went the way of uh, taking a more creative path in that respect. And after getting my master's, uh, moved to New York and decided that while I was writing and performing and pursuing those musical pursuits, that uh, in order to kind of survive, I didn't want to just you know, wait tables or, or take that kind of a job, which is fine. And, and, and that's great if you can do that and you want to do that. But for me, I felt that it would behoove me to find uh, a position in the entertainment industry somehow, whether it be music or some related field, where I could work and kind of learn about the business. And I ended up taking a job as an administrative assistant at a rights clearance company. And that's where I kind of got my foot in the door of learning about music licensing, music clearance, all kinds of rights clearance, because we also did talent, photographs, film clips, I mean, the, everything. And so that's kind of how I, I started getting the business background behind me and continuing to write and perform. Um, and that's kind of uh, 
how I got my foot in the door uh, when I first moved to New York. Eventually, I left that company and I became a, a, a founding partner and vice president of another clearance company where we did more music supervision and we were um, we were doing a, a lots of different types of things as well. And that started taking away from me doing more music because it was so hectic and so busy. And I had such a high position in the company. Not only was I doing the work, but I was managing um, employees. And also I was the, the business affairs manager, which means that I handled every contract that came in and out of the office. So, you know, working 10 hour plus days, it's really hard to uh, yeah, and, for and sure. Write music and and feel creative, and it was just at that point that I actually got involved with Les Zeppelin. I mean, like I needed another thing to do, which I didn't, but it, it was it was a an outlet. It was, you know, I just it, it wasn't my project. It was it was something that I could go and be a part of, and it ended up that the the person the the guitar player who was putting the project together needed. John Paul Jones and I just happened to play bass keyboard and mandolin mm. so it all worked out and that became my segue to actually leave that company because we became uh we started touring more and more towards 2005 that I couldn't work full time any longer which you know certainly was a blessing in disguise so oh yeah well I want to ask you a little sure. more about Les Zeppelin but first I want to I wanted to ask you about when you started working, you know, yeah. doing all the clearance and the contracts and did you feel as a creative that that was really dry or did you enjoy that? You know, I didn't. I've, I, I'm a typical Gemini. I really have <laughs> two sides to myself and I'm sure my husband would attest to that too. But yeah. um, I, I really uh, have been lucky in that I can balance both the creative and, and kind of the, like the right and the left side brain thing. I'm, I'm, I'm good at balancing the creative with the business stuff. I, I, um, there are parts of it that can be dry, but it, it, it's really uh, fascinating and interesting to me. And the, the process of negotiation and, you know, learning how all of these different contracts work and how these different deals work. And it really was a, a, an amazing learning experience. So I never really, the actual work itself never felt dry to me. The stuff that felt dry when I was at the second company that I was at was of course doing all the administrative day-to-day -day stuff that mm -hmm. took me away from actually doing the deals, you know? So the work is, yeah, yeah. I suppose if you were actually negotiating, but you didn't have to, you know, do the contracts and read them over. And I mean, that stuff to me is just like, Oh yeah. Drudgery. Yeah, you know, it's <laughs> not so much, even the contracts that much that, um, like that didn't bother me as much as like having to manage 15 people in an office. Cause that was like oh. that, that kind of administrative stuff was the thing that really was driving me crazy. Yeah. Well, would you recommend, you know, like you said, when you went to New York and you didn't want to wait tables and stuff, would you recommend to a musician that was looking that, to get some money, you know, on the side or do a day job that could help them fund their music career? Would you recommend them trying to get 
a job like that in the entertainment industry so they could learn? Or do you think sometimes that just sucks you in and then, and then you don't end up doing your music? I think, I think it could be a little of both. I think it depends on who you are as a person and, and, and how you can kind of compartmentalize your time. And you really have to be, you really have to be good at managing your schedule. Uh, I mean, at the point where I was a vice president and, and, you know, that high up, that, that started to become a problem. But for many years, when I was at the first company I was at, you know, I left at five 30 every day. I never worked overtime. And I, I really, you know, went home and I did my thing. I think it's, there are a lot of places that, um, young people can explore, uh, job opportunities in music and entertainment so that they're not so far away from doing the thing that they, they love or aspire to. And, and it, you know, because I was around that stuff and I was really immersed in it, you know, my background in, in licensing has only helped my, my understanding of my own deals for my own music. Um, Mm -hmm. and it's also being on that side of it where you're working with people who want to use music, you know, the first place you look when somebody wants to use a song you have to find out who the music publisher is. The first place you look is ASCAP, BMI, and CSAC because you need to find out who the publisher is and what the contact information is. So nowadays, because there are so many people that are self-published, you know, a lot of young uh, young songwriters don't even know what those organizations do, and they're not a part <laughs> of them. And it, you know, you just have to you have to become affiliated with one of them, and. You know, there. I can't tell you how many times I've I've maybe looked for a song and I cannot find who the publisher is because their songwriters do not register their catalogs, and there's no contact information. And so the thing you want to do as a as a songwriter is make yourself really easy to be found, <laughs> and to to you know that that's just an example of you know, what I learned for myself in doing this is, boy, I better get my stuff together and get my catalog and keep it up to date. And if my phone number changes, I have to change that. And that's a, no, that's a really good point because I have the same problem with artists. Like you'd think that they would want to be found everywhere, but sometimes Mm -hmm. when I'm doing research for my shows for women of substance, and I need some information about artists, I can't find a single thing about them. Like I can't even find a Facebook page. Yeah. I'm like, how do you think anyone's going to find your music? Exactly, exactly. And <clears throat> and this and in this day and age, it's really easy to get your 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 stuff out there. It's really easy to have a public profile. You know, when I started, which I'm not going to tell you really how long ago it was, but it, it was it was long <laughs> enough ago that you know the internet was not up and running the way it is now, and you know, every, so many things had to be done, phone, mailing. I mean, it was just, you know, and, and trying to find information out about how do you go about doing things? I mean, all of that's at our fingertips now. There's so much information out there that young songwriters and musicians have at their fingertips that I did not have when I was in my twenties. And, you know, when I think about now, what some of the things I might've been able to accomplish in earlier in my career, had I had the, the, um, the, the information, uh, that I, I can easily access now, you know? Oh, I think that's so true. I'm, I'm in the same Mm -hmm. boat. You know, I was probably, I mean, I don't, I don't expect other people to divulge their age, but let's just say I graduated college in 1994. Mm -hmm. So when I first came out of college, I had no clue how to get a music career started because there wasn't any internet. I mean, there was like 
the most basic. I remember when I first learned about a, a link and that you could click yeah. on something and it would go to another page. Yeah. And I'm like, oh my gosh, how does it do that? You know? Yeah. And that was my beginning of trying to do research, but there was like a, about nothing yeah. online at that point about music and how to get started. Right. And even the, like the music books <clears throat> at that point, the music business books. I mean, there, there were a few things out and, and, you know, really one of the saving graces for me for kind of getting my foot in the door about learning more about the business and networking was joining women in music here in New York, which is, which is a nonprofit organization that had been recommended to me by, um, somebody at the, uh, national, I think it was the national Academy of popular music. And I joined that organization and I started attending events and, you know, they had panels and educational things. And eventually I joined the board and I was on the board for six years and now I'm on the advisory board. And that's an organization I've been a part of for over 20 years. And, you know, that's another thing that I would say to, um, to young writers and musicians, uh, is to, to find those organizations out there that provide networking and educational opportunities and get out there and meet people and and learn. Uh, you know, there really is no excuse for like not knowing what a pu- music publisher does. I I just it you know I don't mean to I don't want to berate anybody and I don't want to um, sound harsh. But if you're going to be in this, yeah, and you want to protect yourself too, you have to educate yourself. No, I agree. And and even if you don't join a local organization, which I think is good, there are so many like forums online. I think forums are good because you can ask questions and you can learn from other people. When I mean, you know, the early days of the internet, when I was really starting to do this stuff, I remember one of the first things I did is I got on someone's mailing list about songwriting and then I found Just Plain Folks. Do you remember that website? for songwriters. And it was the best because there was just all these forums where people were talking about songwriting and publishing Mm -hmm. and licensing and stuff. And I'm like, wow, like this is all here. I can learn from people. It's, it's really amazing. And that, and that's the wonderful thing, you know, now about, about what you can find online. I'm, I'm pretty active with, uh, go girls music. They have a fantastic chat every Thursday night, uh, go girls chat. And there's so many people sharing information and it's a different topic each week. And, you know, whether you're a seasoned professional or whether you're just starting out, you know, we all have something to learn from each other. Um, and it's that, that sharing and community, I think is really, really important. I agree. There's, there's probably been two or three other people mentioning the yeah. Go Girls chat on this, on this podcast. And it's, it is, I have a hard time. It kind of gives me a headache because I can't keep up I know, with it's what a people little, are saying, yeah. <laughs> but it's a lot of great information. Yeah. Sometimes. <laughs> well, let's look get, at, let's look at, you know, the archive <laughs> when you have. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Then you can read it at yeah. your own pace. Well, let, let me talk about, um, when you were in Les Zeppelin. So how long were you in the group? Like, where did you tour? And was that like a totally full-time thing once you left your job? Uh, pretty much. Um, I started with the band in January of 2003. I think that was our first rehearsal. Um, and for a couple of years, you know, we were just trying to get the project off the ground. We were playing locally in New York. Then we started playing, we started going down to DC and then we went to Detroit. And by 2005, um, we were starting to, uh, be approached to go overseas. And at that point, you know, I, I decided to leave my job and I probably would have left it for a number of reasons, other reasons, uh, at that point, but Les Zeppelin gave me a segue out of it. Um, 
And, you know, then we were, we, we did probably, I think one, two, three, three tours of Europe. We, we, we did Japan. Um, we played in Canada. We, we played all over the United States. We played a festivals that had never had an all girl band or a tribute band before we played download in England Rock Am Ring, Rock Am Park in Germany, and we headlined Bonnaroo in 2008. Oh my gosh, wow. Amazing. You know, we had an hour and 30 minute set, which is almost unheard of, at a festival at midnight um, on a very um, hot June evening. And it. And you're a tribute band. That's just amazing to me. And all girls, first all girl girl band to play. Wow. So, you know, it was really an amazing experience. And yeah, we were, we weren't out all the time. We would kind of go out for a few days, come back, go back out. I mean, when we released our album in 2007, yes, we did like three and a half weeks on the road, come home, go back out. But, um, so that was a lot. But at the time that I was in the band, you know, I, I wasn't pursuing much of my own songwriting because it, that took up a lot of time. But I, w- I had taken some licensing clients with me who came along with me who it, I had been working with for many years. So little by little, I started building up my own company, so to speak, doing licensing and supervision while I was in the band, you know, and I could be in Germany. And as long as I had my, my cell phone and my computer with me, I could service my clients. And then also little by little, um, I started offering original scoring and production services to my clients. And um, we've done a few national television commercials. My husband and I, we have a studio and and Tom is a musician himself and we've uh, collaborated on some writing. And so that's, you know, out of all of these things kind of um, being compartmentalized, they've come together and, and, um, uh, and that, and Hidden Palm Productions, which is my company now offers not only music supervision and licensing and rights clearance and consulting, but custom scoring. That's, that's very cool. And so when did you start moving into doing your own music? Well, I mean, I've always, you know, I've always been a songwriter, always been doing my own music. Um, that's what I did when I got out of college and I came to New York. And even when I was in Les Zeppelin, it wasn't, it was hard to do, but you know, I did some gigging here and there or there of my own material, but I left the band in 2009 because I had been in it for six years by that point. And it was just time to go for a number of reasons and started really getting back to focusing on the material <laughs> and released, um, my next, my second album in 2010 called Wonder Wheel released two singles in 2014 and I'm currently working on, um, my next full length release, which I'm hoping to have done by the fall. Mm, yeah. Wow. And then, you know, I'm trying to think when the time was that we, that I met you because I started women of substance end of 2007. I probably, probably started taking submissions in 2008 yeah. and it may have been even as early as that, yeah. but at least by 2009, I definitely think it could have been around then. Um, and especially since the album, Wonder Wheel came out in 2010. I probably started sending you some stuff around then and and you gave me some airplay. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. yeah. So nowadays, do you consider yourself a full-time musician or like, obviously you're also running your company. Mm-hmm. So, but you're kind of getting all your money from music at this point, right? Well, it, it in some this way, this is how I think about it. I mean, if mm-hmm. you want to, you know, 
I guess it, def- it depends on how you want to define a full-time musician. I consider myself a full-time musician because I do it day in and day out, hours and hours a day. Whether it is doing music supervision for a client where I am applying my musical skills um, or I'm writing a, you know, a 60-second spot for a television commercial or I'm teaching a ukulele lesson or I'm doing sideman work for a cabaret show you know, all of these things to me, they're all music. They're, they all come together to create a musical life and, and you know, an income stream. Um, no, I'm not on the road just touring with one band, but to me, it, it's almost more involved at this point because it's really, I just have my hands in so many things. And, you know, like I'm sitting here talking to you now, I'm in my studio right next to me. I have uh, my guitar out because I have a rehearsal with my sister this afternoon. And next to it is my bass because I'm playing on a session, uh, on Saturday. So, you know, I, I consider myself a full-time musician. Well, it's a musical life, clearly. Yes. Yes. So I just wanted to ask you about your music supervision. It just occurred to me. It interests me. Do you, where do you get the song? Like, where do you find the songs that you, when you're looking for a particular thing as a music supervisor, did do people, do you already have like trusted sources that you get them from, or do you go to certain, you know, locations or do you put out a request somewhere? I do have, I do have trusted sources that, that I use. I mean, after being in the business for so many years, I have really excellent relationships with all the major publishers and labels, the indie pubs and labels, and then many, many, um, suppliers of independent music in all different genres. So depending on what my clients are looking for and it may be confusing to people as a music supervisor. And most of my clients are ad agencies and corporations. I don't work so much in film and television, although I am doing more film these days. I have, I've done uh, music supervision on several indie films uh, the past year, and I'm doing more of that. But I do a lot of work for corporate users and for ad agencies. So they'll come to me and they'll say, you know, we're doing a corporate video or I've got a national TV commercial. I did a commercial last year for BMW and we had to find music that was going to be coming out of the radio in the car. Uh, so it was almost kind of background music. It wasn't featured necessarily featured. Okay. So they wanted a certain type of thing. They wanted kind of an, an EDM kind of poppy thing that maybe a 13 year old girl would listen to. That's pretty specific. Mm. So knowing who my suppliers are that may have that, I'll reach out to them. I'll, I'll get pitched hundreds of things. I'll pick the things that I feel work best, uh, not only creatively, but also for the budget. And then I'll present those to my client. And then they have the choice that they have the final choice as to what they may want to use. So there's, you know, there's a lot of ways to skin a cat. It, it can work in a, in a variety of ways. Um, do they ever come to you and say, I want a song that sounds like Adele's hello, but it can't be Adele's hello. You know what I mean? Phil, Phil, they may say that to a degree, but I haven't had anyone who's come to me and said, I want to get as close as I can to Adele without infringing on it, you know, and I haven't had to be in a place where I've had to get a musicologist involved and say, you know, how close (laughs) can we get? And it, it, it hasn't really been like that. And of course, the other side of it is, you know, I also do straight music clearance so that somebody may come to me and say, you know, I want to use, I heard it through the grapevine for a national commercial. And then of course I just go right to the publisher and label. And we, we see if it's available and negotiate that deal. But the music supervision from a, a musical standpoint is, um, 
is really exciting and fun. Um, and it's really gratifying when you find something for the client and they're happy and it, it works out for everybody. And, you know, again, as somebody who's also a songwriter and musician, I really love to, to make everybody happy in the deal. Uh, you know, I want, I want my clients to be happy. I want to continue good relationships <clears throat> with my suppliers, you know, so it's, uh, it's, uh, it's just, you just want to do a win-win situation for everybody. Yeah. Well, it sounds like, I mean, I, I would find it very fun to do yeah. something like that. I feel like I kind of already yeah. do that, you know, uh, yeah. but, I, but it's just so fun to like find some great, find great yeah. music and like let people experience yeah. it. And also you know? for me, you know, I'm discovering music as I go and it, it's just, uh, it's part mm-hmm. of a, uh, the process is, is, is that I'm still being, you know, I'm a music fan. Not only am I a musician, but I'm a music fan. And so I love to hear a great new tune. It's exciting. Mm -hmm. Oh, me too. Well, is there anything, like any kind of advice that you would give struggling musicians, maybe something that you know now that you wish you would have known then, or, you know, a a story of a time where you just felt so frustrated and you like you were never going to get where you wanted to go and and then how you pushed through that? Um, Yeah, you know, I think... uh, I think at the time that I was, um, just before, you know, Les Zeppelin kind of took off. I mean, I, I, I was feeling frustrated because more and more of my time was being taken away from actually doing music or playing music. Um, and I was feeling in my heart, like something has to change, something has to give. And it came out of a place that I wasn't expecting. You know, I really wasn't planning on joining a band. Um, and Yet that, that, um, you know, saying yes to that, I, I guess that's the thing. Being curious, saying yes to that opened up doors that changed my life and have, and have now made me a free agent. And I've had my own company for 10 years and, you know, it's, it's been great. So I would say really it's about perseverance and persistence because i had most of my musical success when i was in my early 40s so what does that tell mm-hmm. you if you're 25 or 30 or 35 and you're like you know nothing has happened yet nothing at all i i'm just going to give up i'm going to throw in the towel i mean if you love what you do if you're truly passionate about it I think that doors do open for you and, and they may not be the ones you expect, you know? Um, I think that's a key, you know, that was not the no. door that you expected and it might not have necessarily been the door that right. you wanted but, uh, yeah. right off the bat. Like you wanted to be a solo artist, but it really did pave the way it for did. the future. It did. And, um, and it was a fantastic experience and I wouldn't trade it for the world. Um, Oh my gosh, you got so so much great performing yeah. experience, so much, you know, working, you know, communicating with an audience oh, yeah. from the stage. I mean, man, yeah, such great really experience. Really wonderful. And uh and we did an album with Eddie Kramer, who was, you know, an mm. amazing engineer and producer who had engineered many of uh Led Zeppelin's uh original albums and we recorded that um the basics in at Electric Lady here in New York. And you know, and at one point I'm sitting there and I have the mm-hmm. headphones on and um, I have a bass in my hand and I'm looking, you know, I'm looking into the control room and Eddie's there behind the, the, the glass. And I really had to just say to myself, all right, just calm down and 
relax, <laughs> just, you know, don't freak out. But that's the kind of, it was just amazing. That's funny. Yeah. I know you, sometimes you just have to be <laughs> like, okay, pre- pretend that you're like in a, a booth right, all by yourself right, and right. no one's around because yeah, it can be intimidating. So how did you get started performing with your sister? Is this something that you did like all along the way? You know, I know you have a really fun show. I hope someday yeah, to see well, it. Well, you know, Lori and I, my sister, Lori, who's uh, 13 months younger than me, um, we've been singing together and performing since we were kids. I mean, it's, it's just something we always did together. Uh, and Lori's got more of a background in theater and film. She, she's an actor. Uh, she studied theater and acting in college. Uh, but she's also a musician and plays, plays, uh, a lot of instruments like I do. And, you know, so she'll join me on my singer songwriter stuff, but the act that you're talking about is a musical comedy act called the Vicky and Nikki show, which where we play, we play suburban housewife sisters who are musicians who are on the road. So the, the act is, it's a fully scripted act. So uh, to date we've written, I think 10 or 11 full length shows. Well, full length means about an hour, hour, 10 minutes, um, where we play all the, it's completely self-contained. We play all the instruments. Um, there's a lot of improv, there's audience interaction. We do original music, but we also do very inappropriate mm-hmm. cover songs. Like we'll take, we'll take <laughs> Lady Gaga's paparazzi, but we'll do it as a bluegrass song. Yeah. So we'll oh. do it with, you know, banjo and accordion or, uh, what did we do? We did our Christmas show here in New York, Vicki and Nikki's holiday sleigh ride. And we did, um, uptown funk and we did that with accordion and ukulele. So yeah. And that show came about because we had friends who were doing live versions of three's company. They were actually taking the three's company scripts and doing live performances and before the show, they wanted to do about 15 minutes of music of, you know, 70s songs that everyone knew. And they approached us about, you know, would you guys like to sing some music before the show? And we said, yes, but my sister had the bright idea to do it as characters. And she and she created, she came up with these characters and she just called me one day. And she's like, so here's what we're going to do. You're going to wear a wig and a gown. And this, and I, and I was like, okay. <laughs> And, um, and then from there we, we, we started doing the, the show with the, the three's company folks. And then we were like, you know, we got something here. People really like what we're doing. And then we kind of fleshed it out more and began writing. And so it's a lot of fun and we're trying to do more where we're bringing it, uh, to a web audience, you know, in addition to the live performances that we do. So, um, it's, Oh, you got to let oh, me yeah. know when you do yeah, that. It's I'd love great to fun. see it. Ugh, that sounds so fun. So I was thinking, what year was that? Um, maybe a few years ago, I did a show on women of substance that was called Women in Harmony, uh-huh. I think. And I'm actually going to bring oh. that back this year. But you were doing something, you and Lori, and you had somebody else with you, and you had just some awesome songs that you did yeah. in harmony. Um, did did you guys do that as a, an act, or was that just like one particular album oh, you did um, together? Th- um, my sister Lori and I, uh, since college, have been singing with our dear friend Susan Hafner, who is mm. um, a triple threat dancer, actor, singer. Uh, she's <clears throat> a Broadway veteran. Uh, she was in State Fair, Thoroughly Modern Millie, 42nd Street. And 
So we've been singing since college and she blends with us beautifully. And we've been just doing three-part harmony for years. You know, we used to start, we started out by doing uh, songs that the Roaches sang. We learned many of their, their tunes. And, and so, um, anytime I've done an original album, I've always included a, a, a few tunes with the trio and we used to be called in the rough. So that was, that was our name. But, um, I think there were three or four songs that they sang on, on, um, Wonder Wheel, uh, two or three that they sang on, girls sang on with me on Brooklyn night. And there will be probably three or four on my next album, but Mm, yeah, whenever we're together, we sing together. We just, we, we just love it. I think I'm thinking of a song called Sarah. Was that you guys? Okay. I love my, first of all, my husband loves that song. Like I put it on my iPod and you know, when I call our, our new music show, what's on my iPod, I actually call it that because I actually put a lot of the music on my iPod. And so every once in a while I'll be in the car and he'd be like, Oh, who is this? Is it, you know, um, you know, some famous people who be like, is it that? Nope. This Uh is women of substance artists, you know? And he actually took that song and put it on. Really? Oh gosh, I'm honored. That's so nice. <laughs> yeah. He's pretty picky too. So <laughs> I don't know. I, that just, I just thought of that because I'm going to bring that Women in Harmony oh, show back this cool. year because it's so yeah. fun. Yeah, I love, I love mm-hmm. Women in Harmony. I think I've asked you almost everything I want to ask you. I, it's just so much great information that yeah. you have. Do you have a book that really helped you? I know we were talking before the interview started about, or maybe during, well, uh, about how there weren't many yeah. books in the beginning that were very helpful. And I think now there's a lot more out there, but is there any one that you would recommend to independent artists that you think is just really kind of a, a good guide for when they first start, or maybe even on on the publishing yeah. end or the licensing well, I think, end? You know, there's, there's a book that's been around for years and it keeps being updated and there are <clears> new editions. And I think it's kind of the bio for anybody to have. And that's this business of music. Um, it's, yes. you know, there's a lot of information in there. It's pretty dry, but it's, it's, you really just should have it in your library. Um, there's another great book, uh, that I would encourage songwriters and composers to have, and that's called On Music Licensing. And that's written by Al and Bob Cohn, K-O-H-N. Uh, Al used to be uh, at Warner Chapel Music in Los Angeles in uh, the licensing department. And I actually, in, in my early years of working in licensing, you know, back when we used to have to get on the phone to do a deal, because, you know, now almost everything is done by email, but you actually had to talk to people back then. Um, you know, I had gotten <laughs> on the phone with him a lot. Uh, and his son, Bob, they co-wrote this book. And uh, there's a lot of great information in there. And and I would say on the uh, on the creative side of things, I, I, I tend to, um, there are a bunch of different books that I've, I've read and returned to over the years, just about anything that Joseph Campbell has written, I think is incredibly inspirational in terms of pursuing the thing that you love and, um, uh, really following your bliss, whatever that may be. Um, any of the books by, uh, Carlos Castaneda about, um, uh, the teachings of Don Juan, which are also very inspirational. A recent book I read, Big Magic, I loved, um, by the same author who did Eat, Pray, Love. Yes. Eliza Gilbert, is it? I think that's who mm. it is. And <clears throat> on a daily basis, I, I'm really fond of brain pickings, which is kind of a daily blog 
that has wonderful, wonderful things to share every day. And I would encourage people to check that out. So yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I don't know that one. I'll have to yeah. check that one out. Brain pickings. It's wonderful. And I'm trying to think if there's anything else. Those those seem to be that yeah. was quite a lot. Yeah, that's really yeah, that'll yeah. get them started. Awesome. Well, thank you for that. I think that on music licensing yes. could be really yes. helpful for, you know, people that are just generally trying to get started in that area and not really yeah. understanding all the workings of the behind the scenes exactly. and stuff. Exactly. And, you know, there, again, there's a lot of great information online now, um, that, you know, I didn't have when I was younger, uh, that at least can give you a, a, a snapshot of what's, what these things are, what they mean, you know, and, uh, you know, another thing in, in terms of the, some of the clients that I work with at my company, not only do I work with people who use music, but I also work with songwriters and composers. Um, uh, I've worked with people who, you know, have been approached by filmmakers and they want to use, um, like I have a composer I've worked with, a filmmaker wanted to use his music in a film. And this composer doesn't really doesn't understand publishing and doesn't understand sync licenses and really didn't know, well, you know, what's the going rate? What should I charge him? So he hired me to negotiate the deal. So I've been on the flip side of things too, where I'm representing songwriters uh, and composers for the deal, as opposed to the actual user of music. So, and coming from, again, a background of being a composer myself, you know, uh, I'm able to, um, to really help out on that end as well. Right. And, you know, you're going to be fighting yes. for the songwriter because you know what it's like exactly. to be on that side. Exactly. That's, that's really cool. I could imagine that being very useful. Yeah. To some so people. I just wanted to throw that out there that, you know, I, I am available to help people in that respect to songwriters and composers and musicians and people who also, you know, they, maybe they don't really understand how this all works and they need a little advice or they want somebody to help them negotiate a deal or yeah. Very cool. Well, how can people get in um, touch with you? Probably the best way um, for my original, you know, kind of music singer songwriter stuff is my website, which is lisabrigantino.com. And all of my social media links are, are there very easily to, very easy to click on. My company, hiddenpondproductions.com. That's H I D D E N P O N D productions.com. And if people are brave enough to um, find out what Vicky and Nikki is all about, that's uh, <laughs> vickyandnikki.com. And that's V-I-C-K-I-E-A-N-D-N-I-C-K-I-E.com. Um, and from there, you can, you know, again, all social media links are attached to those websites. Awesome. Perfect. Well, thank you so much. You have just shared a wealth You're of so information welcome. from pretty much all sides. I love being able to hear from the singer songwriter, from the cover band, from the, you know, the other side behind the desk and the contracts and all that. It's just, it's a great, like, you know, 360 degree view of the it, industry. It's, it's certainly a unique, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, I'm so glad that, uh, we were, you know, we had the chance to chat and, and, uh, that I could be helpful in that way. Me too. I'm glad we finally talked after knowing <laughs> yeah. each other for seven uh -huh. years over email. <laughs> Thanks again for spending oh, you're time so with very us. welcome. Thank you, Brie. Now go out and make great music, connect with your fans, and grow your business.
female entrepreneur musician has been brought to you by femusician.com and femalemusicianacademy.com. With editing by Jen Eads of 317 Sound Design and music by Stella Ronson.